He is a basketball editor at SB Nation. We now welcome Ricky O'Donnell on Roofsology. How's it going, Ricky? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing really well. Thanks for joining the show. And the time is appropriate as the NBA draft is coming up. It is tomorrow, or I guess today if you're seeing it, so I'm depending on what time. So let's not waste any time, Ricky. And I want to just get your assessment of how you're covering this draft. I mean, this is a highly unusual year considering the circumstances. Um, are you taking that into account when evaluating your mock draft and evaluating picks um, compared to previous years? Or is that kind of out the window? Or are you just strictly um, evaluating talent basically under athletic ability and what they can bring to a team? Yeah, it's weird because typically I would go watch a lot of basketball in person. I usually like to go to the AAU circuit uh, once a summer. Uh, those top players typically become you know, the top players in college a year later. Uh, and then go on to the league. So I like to try to get a look at guys early. Historically, I've covered the EYBL, which is the Nike circuit, and I've also attended uh, USA Basketball's Junior Mini Camps, which is an annual event they hold every October. So I haven't been able to do that the last couple of years because of the pandemic, and I do think that that has impacted the way I look at the class a bit. Uh, also, you know, not seeing any live basketball in person in terms of college hoops this year uh, plays a factor too. So. I definitely think you need to be more understanding uh, about you know certain things that everyone's going through in the pandemic, including these players. There's a few guys this year that you know a guy like Jalen Johnson in particular left Duke uh, in the middle of the season, but uh, you know it's during a pandemic. There's everyone sort of needed to protect themselves while all of this was going on. So I do think it it should factor into your evaluation, but uh, maybe not too heavily. So what a teams are making are they taking that into account considering the circumstances um do you think we the way that's what unfolds um by the time um our viewers and listeners are seeing this will there be any kind of are you anticipating any just due to teams adjusting to taking into account like they, they really kind of a balancing act okay you know if, if a player underperforms during these circumstances, how much is that going to really hurt them? And how much is that going to really influence that team's decision in picking them, um, considering, you know, they might be super based on the previous resume and their previous work? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, dilemma for teams. Last year was even more fascinating because there's no NCAA tournament. So at least this year, they were able to get through the season. You've still seen guys rise in the pre-draft process. Someone like Chris Duarte, who I had in the mid-20s uh, throughout the years, throughout the year while doing my mocks, he now is apparently getting looks in the lottery. Uh, Trey Murphy from Virginia is also a guy who's been rising a lot in the pre-draft process. Now, this happens even during years when scouts can be in the gym, and this year it was a bit limited. But, uh, yeah, I think that there – it will impact the evaluation process a little bit, but uh, just the fact that we could get through a college basketball season and, you know, the international players are able to get through their season. The G League still did their bubble, which Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, a couple other top guys in this class were involved in. The fact that we were able to get through all of it, I think uh, it does allow a, a relatively full view of each of these prospects as they enter the draft. Ricky, I wanted to ask, just generally speaking, and and by the way, listeners, be sure you check out Ricky's mock draft on SB Nation. Uh, really great info on that. Um, 
I, I wanted to ask you, you know, we as NBA fans, I think every single year going into a draft, we have this, we, we fantasize about all the trades that could happen. I just wanted to ask with this year being different or just this year in general, the prospects that you're seeing, the, you know, the info that you've gathered, do you predict this being like a, a busier night in terms of trades and moves along the draft as, as the first round progresses, or do you see it being more quiet? Yeah, well, we were, we already got one, right, with Memphis and New Orleans uh, agreeing yeah. to that trade, swapping picks 10 and 17. So the rumor has it the Grizzlies could be looking to move up again from number 10. There was rumor today the Knicks, who have picks 19 and 21, they're looking to move up to consolidate for one elite talent. So I think there's going to be a lot of trades, potentially right? Uh, it's always hard to sort of scope out exactly what they're going to be until you know how the board's going to break. But I would anticipate with the way this NBA season finished, uh, you know, the Bucks being the champions, the, the Suns in particular being uh, the two seed in the West, but they were a long shot to make the finals. I think that a lot of teams are seeing an opportunity and uh, that's going to lead to more aggression in terms of team building, I think, throughout the offseason. It's kind of a weak free agent class, too. That plays into it. So typically there's a lot of movement starting on draft night that's like the official start of the next season it always feels like and uh yeah i anticipate to see quite a bit of movement uh on draft night even if it's tough to scope out what it's going to be right now awesome and speaking of teams at large i also wanted to get your thoughts um just generally speaking if if you're to look at the entire first round maybe it's number of picks or um i i guess just generally speaking what teams stand out to you as teams that could really increase their potential for success next year? So maybe maybe not necessarily the most talented player, but as far as team building goes, who can raise their ceiling the most out of the teams you're seeing? Yeah, I think you got to look at the top of the draft. I think this draft is pretty top heavy in particular. There's three players in this class with Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, who I think all would have gone number one last year over Anthony Edwards. Uh, I'm already doing my 2022 mock draft, and I don't see any prospect in 2022 that is as talented as those three in this class. Wow. So uh, I think those are the teams that are the big winners. Now, Detroit and Houston, they really feel like they're at the very start of their rebuilds. Uh, Cleveland is a little bit further along just because it's been a few years since LeBron left. Uh, they have Darius Garland, who I thought really took a leap in his second year. Isaac Okoro, decent rookie year. And then you have Colin Sexton, who had the big scoring jump. Are they going to trade him? There's so many rumors around that. Uh, they also have Jared Allen as a restricted free agent. So I love where they're sitting at number three, because I think Evan Mobley is good enough to go number one overall in many drafts. I would take him number two behind Cunningham. It sure seems like the Rockets are going to opt for Jalen Green. So I love the idea of Mobley in Cleveland. I think he's a perfect fit next to those two small guards in the backcourt if they do end up keeping Sexton. I also think he could play the four next to Jared Allen should they bring Allen back on a fat contract and restricted free agency. Also, you're just not going to play them both together the whole game, so you can still play Mobley at the five for long stretches. Uh, I love Mobley. I think he's the best defensive prospect in this class. If everything comes together, it wouldn't shock me if he's the best player in the class. Now, there are a few swing factors that are – going to contribute to that most notably strength you just look at him he's a thin guy doesn't always play with force around the rim and uh, can get moved off his spot a bit but 
the natural talent is off the charts in terms of his movement ability, his passing ability, his shooting potential. I love Evan Mobley. If I'm a Cavs fan, I'm doing backflips right now that he's going to fall to number three. So speaking of that, uh, full disclosure, I, I am a Rockets fan. And even if I weren't, I, I do think their position at number two is fascinating. And, uh, you know, that most people are projecting Jalen Green to go there at number two. Can you talk about that a little bit more and why the Rockets might not be um, picking up Evan Mobley at number two? Yeah, well, I think it's a coin flip. Jalen Green's awesome. I think Jalen Green's really a stud. Pure scorer, pure bucket getter. At his peak, I think he can flirt with averaging 30 points a game. So that's just the type of overall scoring package he has. If I could tell you right now, you could take, you know, Devin Booker at number two overall. Like, you'd probably be like, yeah, we'll take a guy who is uh, just like, to me, he's a little bit safer than Mobley. Mm, You're selling me here. (laughs) Yeah, because Mobley... Uh, while I do think if Mobley hits his highest possible outcome, he's going to for sure be a superior player to Green. Like, there's also a risk with a skinny big man. Like, what if his shooting doesn't come around? What if he can't add strength to his frame? Uh, he's not someone who's hardwired to score Mobley. Whereas Green, you just know what you're getting. There's not too much risk factor with Green to me. It's just like he also has some shortcomings in his game. But what he does well is score the basketball. Dude's got a lightning quick first step. He has ridiculous bounce around the rim. He's basically been the number one player in this class since he was a freshman in high school. He's been super famous for like four or five years now. So he's going to be able to handle that adjustment to the NBA. Uh, And now, like, I don't think he's a similar guard to Harden in that Harden was so good as a playmaker. Like, that's not Green's game. I view Green as like a true classic shooting guard. What we used to think about a shooting guard in like 2002 or 1996 Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I view Green, just like a straight bucket getter. Don't really like his his ability to read the floor too much yet, but of course he's 18. Like that's going to continue to improve. Defense, I think, is a question mark for him for sure. He's thin. I think that you know people are going to be able to bully him on the other end. But his scoring package is nasty. He can shoot threes, step back, side step, showed all that off in the G League. Uh, he can basically beat the first line of defense every single time because no one's going to be able to stick with him athletically takes off off one or two with great explosiveness. So I can get the argument for green for sure. I think that he's just a little bit more of, you know what you're going to get. Whereas Mobley, it's like, if everything comes together, he could be sick. I would opt for Mobley personally, because I like to swing for the fences, but Mm -hmm. uh, Jalen green is, no consolation prize at number two overall. Like that is a really good young prospect. Which player should be should fans be looking out for that has not been getting a lot of buzz? That might be in the middle of the draft. That could be that that sneaker surprise pick when the season starts. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I got two guys who are personal favorites of mine that. Uh, are not being projected to go in the lottery right now. I think they're both lottery talents. The first one is Sharif Cooper. I, he's a point guard from Auburn, about six foot one, 180 pounds. I talked to Sharif on Friday, wrote a feature on him earlier this week at SBNation.com, talked to him and his father about his upbringing in sub- suburban Atlanta, uh, going undefeated in high school where he was a teammate of Isaac Okoro. And then he had an NCAA eligibility scandal or eligibility issues, I should say. Uh, in college that limited him to 12 games. But maybe because he was out for a while, didn't play that much this season, people didn't realize how talented he is. 
he is small and he struggles to shoot. So those are two big red flags, but this kid is probably the best playmaker in the class. Uh, brilliant ball handler, passer, ambidextrous. He's the best alley-oop thrower I think I've ever scouted since I've been doing this since 2014 or so. Uh, his first game after a 72-day layout layoff with Auburn because of the NCAA investigation, he hadn't even practiced in 72 days. He was just brilliant. He had like 26 points. He had threw like four or five alley-oops. Uh, He's, his vision is remarkable. He has always put up big scoring numbers on the EYBL, the Nike League. He averaged 28 points a game. Uh, this year at Auburn, he averaged 20 points. He was the first. He's Him and Trey Young are the only two freshmen in the last 30 years to average 20 and 8. So I love Sharif Cooper. It's easy to see a guard that size and doubt him, especially when they can't shoot threes. I think Sharif probably will be able to shoot eventually, and that's going to be key to keeping defenses honest. But uh, I love his vision. I love his passing, and he's a big sleeper to me. And then second guy I'll mention is Jaden Springer out of the University of Tennessee, 6'4", freshman guard. Despite the fact that he's a freshman, he's a full year younger than Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley. Uh, he's one. He's the youngest American player in this class. Very strong, powerfully built guard. I think he might be the best on-ball defender in this class uh, that title often goes to Davion Mitchell on Baylor. By the way, Davion Mitchell, four years older than Jaden Springer. So I don't know if Jaden Springer is going to be an instant impact contributor, but I do know he's strong as hell. He's a great on-ball defender. I watched him at the high school level on IMG Academy. He led that, that school to a national championship as a junior. Uh, he didn't really get to show all of his offensive skills, I thought, at Tennessee because they didn't have any shooting. He was playing on a cramped floor. Uh he didn't have the best freshman season, but he did lead the team in scoring. He was awesome defensively on the ball. He's got good size. Uh, he didn't take a lot of threes, but he made him at a 44% clip. So the shot's a little bit of a question mark. Uh, not the most flexible athlete, but like really powerful, can move guys off their spots with his strength. I love Jaden Springer. I would take him in the lottery, absolutely. I think it's crazy. Him and Sharif might both uh, slide out of the first round. So those are two of my favorites in this draft who are a little under-publicized, in my opinion. I noticed in your mock draft, um, very few international players. Is this to say down year in terms of international talent, um, or could this be a trend in terms of where the draft is going, in your opinion? Well, there's uh, it's a pretty decent international class. So okay. A few guys pulled out at the last okay. second and decided to go next year, but – uh, like it starts with Josh Giddy. I also did a profile on Josh Giddy at SB Nation, and Josh Giddy's a six-eight Australian point guard. Uh, I think the Magic should take him at number five. They won't. It doesn't seem like it, but I would consider him strongly with that pick. Uh, he was probably the biggest riser in this draft. I had no, no idea who Josh Giddy was coming into the season. I don't think many people did, but he played in the NBL, his which is the Australian Pro League. Followed very similar path to what. Uh, LaMelo Ball did, only Josh Giddy is Australian. And also a 6'8 guard, also sort of struggles to shoot from the outside, but brilliant playmaker. And uh, him and Cooper, I think, are just just really uh, fascinating for their facilitating ability. And it seems like every team needs creation, right? If, if you don't have creation, that's your number one need on almost every team. And those two guys are, I think, high-level bets to be good creators. Uh, so Giddy's one. And then we also have Alperin... Shengun from Turkey, 18-year-old kid, dominated the Turkish League. One MVP at 18 years old. Another guy who was a late riser in this class. 
Now, he's interesting because he's kind of slow. He doesn't shoot threes, and he's not that big as a center. He's like maybe 6'9", maybe 6'10", not super long. His lateral quickness is his big question mark defensively. But he just dominated a pro league at 18 years old. I mean, people have compared him a little bit to like DeMontes Sabonis as like sort of an undersized center, but someone who's like a throwback big, who can still score on the block, rebound, smart player. And he is starting to develop the outside shot a little. Who knows if that's going to be part of his game five, you know, five years from now. So Shengun and Giddy, I think, will go uh, in the lottery. Then you got Franz Wagner, who played at Michigan, but he's from Germany. He, you know, could have stayed in Germany and played pro there, but decided to follow in the footsteps of his brother, Mo Wagner, who's currently, I think, on the Wizards. So he's an international player, too. Uh, you also have Usman Garuba from Spain, drawn Draymond Green comparisons as an undersized defensive big man who sort of stagnated offensively over the last year, but he's been considered a big-time prospect in Europe for several years now. Uh, I like Garuba, too, as a top 20 pick. So, decent international class. Uh, there's no Luka Doncic this year, but I, I like the international class this season quite a bit, actually. I think there's some good bets in there. Awesome. I, I wanted to go back. You mentioned that, you know, Jalen Green is is in the G League. I believe uh, Kaminga as well. Both lottery prospects most likely going in the lottery there. How do you compare, you know, you've been scouting this for a while. How does scouting in the G League compare to scouting in the NCAA? Is there more legitimacy as far as future pro potential goes, less legitimacy, or do we just kind of not have a big enough sample size yet? Yeah, so this was the first year, right? The first year that they opened up the G League Ignite team. That team was all five-star recruits who didn't want to play college basketball. They got paid instead to go turn pro and did not have to worry about school and to have their job be basketball. And I thought it was incredible. I thought the NBA did a terrific job with this team. They surrounded them with veterans like Jared Jack was on the team coming off the bench. Uh, the whole program was run really well. And I think the competition you face in the G League certainly is better than the competition you face in college basketball. They're going against, you know, guys who are the best player on their college team often cases, but couldn't make the league or just a cup below the league. So uh, I thought the Ignite team was sick. I thought it was terrific. I'm excited for it next year. Next year is Jaden Hardy, who's probably the best guard in next year's class. Great pull-up shooter. He's going to be the centerpiece of that Ignite team next year. But I thought Jalen Green and Kaminga had a really good experience. Green in particular, I thought, was awesome. I'm, I, would, I knew Jalen Green was super talented, but I was also impressed that he was that productive in the G league at such a young age. Kaminga on the flip side really struggled. His shooting percentages were terrible. He looked a lot more raw, raw, but toolsy, right? You could see him being a good player five years from now, but right now, what's he good at? I don't know. He's got a while to go, but uh, green was awesome from day one. I thought the G league program with the ignite was a huge success and is something, you know, we're going to continue to see in the future. Is there anything that you're seeing or hearing? I mean, I I personally would like to see the G League expand and give these talented players out of high school an opportunity. Um, but is there anything that you're seeing with the changes in NCAA rules potentially inhibiting the G League from expanding like this? Uh, well, in terms I mean, of like player motivation to join the G League versus yeah. NCAA. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean. 
I love it from a player's perspective. It's like, who's going to pay me the most for my talent to go there? Like, right. isn't the rumor right now that the Alabama quarterback has like a million dollars in endorsements mm-hmm. uh, from NIL? So, hell yeah, that's great. I mean, we haven't really seen the extent of it in the NCAA yet. It's all coming together so fast. We're all in it for the first time together. So it'll be interesting. But, I mean, Jalen Green, I think, got paid a million dollars, I think. You'd look that up, but um, he got a hefty paycheck to play in the G League. Uh, now, you know, you could go play in Australia, too, like LaMelo Ball did, Josh Giddy coming from that league. Uh, next year, one of the top prospects in France actually chose to play in Australia rather than the G League or college. Uh, so I think that all three of those routes are going to be legitimate. Uh, you could probably see pretty good money, depending on the caliber of prospect you are. Uh, it all three routes. So I think it's great for players to have options to do where where they feel the most comfortable. And, uh, you know, all of those routes are going to have, you know, top picks in the last couple of years. So to me, it seems like all of them are pretty good. If you're if you're a good basketball player, the NBA is going to find you. That's what I would say. Definitely. I, I have to ask, this is a, a little bit switching topics here. We have some listeners that are Celtics fans, and I know that they don't have any picks in this first round. Do you see any potential or are you hearing anything that the Celtics might make some noise in this draft anyway, get involved in uh, trade somehow? I haven't heard that. Uh, so I don't know. Obviously, it's Brad Stevens' first time as a GM. Now, the Celtics do have pick 45, which could be a decent pick. I mean, I do think that Every year, there's typically a few good second-round picks. I got some second-round favorites off the top of my head. Kessler Edwards, sort of a 3-and-D wing prospect from Pepperdine. Uh, He's someone who I would definitely look at, especially if he lasts till 45, which is the Celtics pick. I think he's good. Uh, Yeah, it's it's interesting to say, like, who's still going to be on the board at that pick. But Joe Weiskamp is a shooter from Iowa who played off Luka Garza, who was the National Player of the Year this year. Garza's also in this draft, and... Uh, could be selected in the second round. But I like Wisecamp as well as sort of a sweet shooting wing. Uh, In terms of trading up, I haven't heard any buzz on that, but historically the Celtics are active, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Ricky, this um, shifting gears a little bit, and if Matt wants to circle back to the the draft, he's more than welcome to. But I want to get your thoughts on this Team USA um, in the Olympics so far and your assessment on – their performance so far in terms of the, the national narrative of them just being an embarrassment. Um, that's just been kind of the, the national narrative when I think in my opinion, I think the international competition is really good. And it's just a matter of, you know, team USA, if they put out a mediocre squad or not even a mediocre squad, I would say, I would, even if they put out their top players, they're, to expect them to blow out teams like they did Iran, it's just not going to be realistic. So what do you make of this team so far? Do you think it's just a massive overreaction in terms of kind of that national narrative of just, you know, Team USA should just demolish every team? Or do you think this is just going to be the story for now on for future Olympics where um, each year Team USA, they're going to have to fight to win the gold every single year? Yeah, obviously the rest of the world has improved, but I mean, come on. We can't show too much humility here. Team USA should go undefeated and win the gold every year in the Olympics. I believe that. We are the most talented basketball country. Thank yes, you. The rest of the world has gotten better, and the rest of the world has caught up. And, like, that French team was awesome. Nigeria, yeah. that was sort of yeah. inspiring to see. That Nigerian team, though, had five NBA players. So, like, that was a legitimately good team. 
you're seeing a lot of NBA players, you know, throughout this tournament. The issue is that who put together this American team? The roster construction is totally flawed. For one, they don't have any pure playmakers on the team. Trey Young, John Morant, LaMelo Ball, those are the guys that I would have chosen for this team. One of those guys, at least, you need on this team. They also don't have much size. Now, to be fair, if you look at the best centers in the NBA, not many born in the United States. I thought Jared Allen could have been a decent pick for them, uh, is someone they could have uh, slid to the five. How about Rashawn Holmes, who just had a breakout year for the Kings? It sounds crazy that I'm pleading for Rashawn Holmes on Team USA, but they have no size. They have Bam, who's undersized as it is at the five, and I then they added JaVale late in the process. So what they actually did was just take all guys who are like a walking bucket. They basically just took isolation scores. Dame, uh, Beal was on the team, but he's gone now. Lillard, uh, I'm sorry, Dame, Durant, uh, Zach Levine, uh, Middleton, Tatum. Uh, I'm forgetting someone else too. So it's just like a booker. You know, it's just a lot of guys who's like, they're just pure scorers. And when I watched that game against France, I thought they were like being, they were like, making stupid passes around their perimeter. Like they were deferring too much. It's like, no, you're Kevin Durant. Just take over. Like no one should be able to stop you. So to me, this team needs Trey Young or John Morant or LaMelo. They need a pure playmaker. They need more size. Uh, France beat them by going with two bigs late in the game with uh, Gobert and, you know, another center they had, Vincent Poye, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, bad roster construction. And if the Americans don't win gold, I think they should feel ashamed. I mean, maybe it's a hot take. Like, I respect the rest of the world. The rest of the world is awesome. And it's cool that America, through, you know, the Dream Team in 92, has inspired the rest of the world to be great basketball players. But we should win. So. Uh, totally agree. <laughs> I think the roster construction is just poor. That's, that's my take on it. What do you think about the coaching? Because just watching that game against France, I didn't understand them just jacking up threes when they had an opportunity that the, just to tie the game. And I don't know, it has seemed a lot of the blame falls on Popovich as well. And I want to ask you, Ricky, because I, I have I'm wondering about this. The way that Team USA was constructed for this Olympics was has that been is it different than in previous years in terms of how the roster was constructed? Because I got the sense that they made sure with um, Mike Krzyzewski that these guys at least played in some world championships, that there's some cohesiveness going on each summer leading up to the Olympic Games. Was this year different? Um, with this yeah. Well, I mean, they tried. No one yeah. wanted to play in the World okay. Cup. You guys remember what happened in the World Cup? They came in seventh. They lost to France, <laughs> and then did they lose to Poland, too, or something? Like, maybe they beat Poland to finish seventh. Anyways, they lost two games in that, and they came in seventh. And they had a pretty good team. I mean, they had Tatum and Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Miles Turner, and they shouldn't have lost. But, yeah, I mean, for sure, blame Popovich. Absolutely. I think that uh, – that's fair. The players are playing for free. I guess maybe Popovich is coaching for free too, but uh, he's probably had a heavy hand in picking the roster. You'd have to think him and Colangelo. Obviously, guys didn't want to play in the World Cup, which is understandable. And the rest of the world has more cohesion. Yeah. So you're fighting uphill a little bit in that regard. But I just think like you got to build a basketball team. They just took all shot jackers. And they yeah. didn't really build a balanced roster. And those guys are awesome. Like, Dame and KD and Tatum are great. But, like, 
sometimes you got to build a little bit more of a cohesive team. That's my take on it. And I don't think they have enough ball movement. And when they do have ball movement, it's not like meaningful ball movement. It's kind of just passing for the sake of passing instead of like passing to beat the defense. So yeah, that that's my take on it. And yeah, if you want to blame Popovich, sure, do it. I don't think he's above criticism at all. With that sense, Ricky, do you since you think that you know if they don't win the gold, you know Team USA should be ashamed. I, I want to talk <laughs> about legacy then, in, in terms of you know Durant, right? Is all this talk about you know how you know Durant's maybe the, the best player in the league? He's always in the talk for the best player in the league. How much of a stain would it be if they don't win the gold? Would that be something that oh, should I be mean, held against him um, in terms of his legacy? Whether or not I think it's fair that it should be held against him, people are definitely going to hold it against him. 100%. Just like they hold it against him with going to the Warriors, right? It's like for Durant, he's truly an all-time great player. He's the second best player of this generation. I mean, maybe you could argue he's third behind Steph, but he's amazing. He's one of the best basketball players I've seen since I've been alive. And to me, that should be not even a debate. The guy's a flat-out superstar. But people will look at his career, I think, at the end of the day and be like, well, they say it already. Like, your rings don't count. You took the easy way out. I don't agree with that criticism at all. But obviously, people are going to bring that up forever. And I think him playing on Team USA was sort of a way to, like, fortify his legacy, right? Like, he's going to break all these USA basketball scoring records because I think this is his third Olympics. Uh, he's primed to be – he's the best player in the tournament, right? Like I take Durant over Luca is the other best player in the tournament and KD should dominate. So I think he did, he joined this team for legacy purposes, man, would it be something if it ended up going the other way on him? It'd be unfortunate. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you watch the NBA, you know, Kevin Durant's awesome. And like a lot of the criticism of him, I think is pretty stupid. So I'm pro KD all day. Amazing talent. Uh, what he did during these playoffs was just absolutely incredible with an undermanned Nets team. Uh, but will people hold it against him? Absolutely. That's definitely going to happen. Matt, did you have um, any other questions before we let Ricky go? No, I have, I love those takes on <laughs> Team USA. Ricky, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. thanks for joining the show, Ricky. Um, before we let you go, um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and then also um, any other um, stuff they should look out for in the future from you. Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky and then head to SBNation.com tomorrow night. I'll be doing live draft grades. Uh, I'll be giving some some bad marks if they teams make picks I don't like. I've got a big board up, top 30 there too. Did a profile on Sharif Cooper and Josh Giddy. You can check those out. Uh, been doing a lot of draft coverage. And then on Friday, I'm going to have a 2022 mock draft. First look at next year's class. So uh, that's all good stuff at SBNation.com. You can check out. Nice. Uh, again, thank you very much, Ricky, for joining the show. And uh, just good luck tomorrow. Enjoy the draft. Thanks, guys.